Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. I'm Sarah Bemprad with Realcom, and today we have a fantastic panel talking about um, smart building strategies. This is actually our part two of the series, and today we will be focusing on the role of health, wellness, and productivity going forward. Before we get started, let's go through a few housekeeping items. You can use the Q&A section to submit your questions or comments and we'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session and we'll follow up with you after the event in case we don't get to your questions during the session. For the best webinar experience, we recommend that you log out of any other internet applications. And if you do run into any technical issues, you can contact me at sbamperat.com. We are also recording the session and we'll be sending out a copy of the recording within the next few days. And you can also download a copy of this presentation um, handout from the handout section. With that, I'd like to introduce the sponsors for today's event, Bluetooth, Building Engines, Buildings IoT, and Prescriptive Data. We'll learn more about these companies throughout the session. And uh, now let's learn about the moderator for today's event. We have Pete Scarpelli moderating. Pete is a co-founder and managing partner of Global Sustainable Future, an organization that addresses global challenges in energy, air, and water by helping innovate disruptive businesses with market access, capital, and project financing. Pete, thank you very much for leading today's conversation, and I will turn it over to you. Thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, excuse me. Uh, well, hello, everyone, and, and uh, good morning and good afternoon or good evening. I guess we have some people over in Europe as well. Um, uh, thank you all for joining us today. Um, um, uh, you know, as Sarah said, um, um, you know, I, I am going to moderate today's session. Uh, and before I get started with all of that, I want to take a moment to thank my good friends, uh, Jim and Howard from uh, Realcom. But I also specifically want to thank um, uh, Sarah and Ian for managing this session. If, if any of you out there have ever had the chance or haven't had the chance to work with Sarah and Ian, you will find it an absolute pleasure. They are true professionals in what they do in making these sessions work uh, seamlessly. Um, I have been a member of the Realcom community, I guess, for probably about 12 years. Um, I have to admit that sadly, I think this last session a couple of weeks ago was the first time I've actually missed uh, uh, the uh, annual event. And I am truly uh, upset about that, frankly, but it, it just didn't, it wasn't possible. Uh, but the great thing I think I've learned about the Realcom community, and when you go to those events, you get to uh, you know see your old friends and have great conversations, but then you also get to meet new friends. And I must admit that uh, this entire panel is is uh, new friends to me. Um, I have uh, just recently met all of these people, uh, but I think you will all find that they're true uh, and excellent professionals in their space. Um, um, uh, one one last thing before we get started. Um, you know, one of the things I think I've learned um, over the last 18 months during this uh, pandemic process is, and I think we probably all have, is that the environment in which we are in, the physical space, um, certainly has some sort of impact on our productivity, our, our happiness, and, and, and certainly our health. Um, uh, I think the pandemic proves that part. Um, you know, I've, I've come to love working from home. I know I, I am productive here. I know I am uh, efficient and I know it, it's, it's effective. Uh, but I also realized 
that I lose something in that process. You know, I, I'm good about 80-20, right? You know, I need that 20% interaction so I can have those brainstorming sessions with my colleagues. It just, it makes it um, kind of innovation, right? It, it helps us kind of drive new ideas. Uh, it's just kind of who I am, something I need to make myself exceptionally productive. Um, and, you know, I would just ask everyone in the room if you could just raise your hand if you feel the same, like, you know, you're good, but then you also need some help. Um, I think I see about 60-40, so, um, you know, so that's good. Um, you know, one of the things that we will see today or hear today is that this group is going to discuss um, how they are helping making the, make the environments in which they work uh, much more effective, uh, healthy, and happy. Um, and with that, I'm going to, that was a bad intro. Sorry for all that, guys. Um, with, with that, I'm going to bring in our next, or our first speaker, uh, Peter Smith. Now, um, we've got, I think everyone out there probably knows that RxR Realty is a uh, large um, owner and operator of Premier Real, Real Estate. Um, and we're fortunate to have uh, Peter with us today. He is the head of the business development of their digital realty team which basically means he gets to play with all the cool toys. Um, um, and those cool toys are the kinds of things that will help uh, make our, our environments healthy and productive. So with that, Peter, I'm going to ask you to share your thoughts with people. Thank you, Pete. Uh, and thank you, Sarah. Um, yeah, excited to join you all today and share a little bit about our digital transformation at RxR and really how that's been driving forward our efforts around health and sustainability and, and really productivity. As Pete mentioned, I, I lead business development efforts for our digital lab. Um, for many of those that, that already know RxR, we're a vertically integrated owner operator of real estate in New York City. So we have sightline into the various um, components of the real estate world, everything from investment and development to design and construction, and all the way through to occupancy and property management and leasing. The digital lab acts as uh, a tech buyer and a tech seller. Um, we are in an innovation team looking to add value to our, our individual um, you know, colleagues in, in those, those different business units. And then where we see gaps in the marketplace, um, we've got a team of about 30 data scientists, technologists, software developers, and engineers that are building net new product. And we have known for a long time since the founding of the lab in 2019 that in order for RxR to continue its evolution and, and continue to provide class A office, uh, we need to do more than just provide four walls and a roof. And so um, in 2019, we came to the realization that there was a proliferation of project solutions, but most of them were single point solutions. And instead of traveling down a path of whack-a-mole and bringing point solution there, point solution here, uh, we opted to take a step back and, and partner with Microsoft and McKinsey and a few others to develop a comprehensive data and analytics platform to tie these point solutions and data sets together in a, a really comprehensive way. Um, the RxWell solution was the first solution that we launched in 2020 in response to COVID. Um, had a suite of functionality and digital tools to enable our tenants to return to our properties safely, um, with health being uh, at, the, at the forefront. So looking at uh, health screenings as well as uh, active air quality monitoring across our buildings. We have since evolved the platform uh, into the WorksWell brand and product, uh, which is looking beyond COVID-related solutions at other areas, which I'll, I'll get into. But at its core, this is a, a data and analytics platform. So we're, we're pulling data from embedded IoT sensors that are across our building. So looking to understand what's physically happening in our, in our space, 
And then also uh, overlaying that with digital tools and technologies to engage, to provide reports and dashboards uh, and metrics to our property management teams, as well as to our tenants uh, to enhance the overall experience and to optimize building operations. What we're seeing from a macro lens that's really forcing us down this, this digital transformation journey is the way that I see it is we have uh, this, this food chain within the real estate world. So the very top, you have institutional investors. At the very bottom, you have consumers and employees that are coming to the office space. And then right in the middle there, there's you know, RxR and, and our tenants. And we're finding pressures coming from both top and bottom that are forcing us to shift our business models and really respond to uh, changing demands and, and demographics. The pandemic over the past 18 months has acted more so as an accelerant than a change agent. Most of these issues and topics you know, that, that are, are bulleted here existed prior to the pandemic, um, but have really come into attention and focus as a result of, of the pandemic. And then as we look to parallel industries, uh, understanding what's happening in the workplace itself. So we see the transformation that's taken place in the retail sector. Everything was in store on site. It shifted to e-commerce and online and now is, is omni-channel and really leveraging you know, e-commerce, but also uh, a different you know, in-person retail experience. And we're seeing the same in the workplace. Everything was in office. The pandemic allowed us to have this great remote work experiment. And now we're settling back into this distributed workforce model. And with that comes a lot of complexity, but also uh, advantages around flexibility and choice uh, and an overall experience. And so what are we doing? Uh, so at ArcSAR, we're building on top of the platform that we developed around COVID. And we're focusing on three uh, verticals. One is around how do we help our tenants uh, understand their hybrid workplace? And how do we add value to that? How do we drive towards sustainability and energy efficiency across our portfolio? And then how do we continue to invest in health and wellness technologies and solutions? And so looking at hybrid, we're engaging with our tenants to be able to bring together spatial analytics marry that to workplace analytics how are people collaborating both digitally and in person and then also anecdotal and qualitative data um, through surveys to really understand holistically how and where people are working in this new hybrid world and what we're looking to do is in addition to our regular amenities is to provide data as an amenity to our tenants so pulling from the data that we're sitting on top of as a landlord and then in discrete engagements with our own tenants how can we pull data from their interior spaces or their digital workplace tools to provide real-time uh, real employer reports as well as individualized employee insights so that people can understand ways that they can be more effective and more productive um, as they come into the workplace. So I'll, I'll pause there and open up to Peep. That's just a little glimpse into you know, what the, the journey that we've been on um, for, for our, our digital transformation and how we've uh, evolved our, our platform and solution set as, uh, as we've you know, come through and, and are hopefully coming out of the, uh, the pandemic. Well, you know what, from your lips to God's ears, I hope this pandemic is over too. Um, um, so, so Peter, uh, th thank you for that. You know, you, you, um, you know, when we do these sessions, you know, it's kind of always one person from a broad community. So you get to be the spokesperson for every multi-tenant facility on the planet. Um, um, uh, when we, when we, in your situation, you know, as you kind of um, stare at this marketplace, you know, you you have multiple voices because you've got multiple tenants, right? And those multiple voices have 
you know, over the last 18 months have had kind of different perspectives. Um, how have you guys kind of managed that kind of bucket of thought process to make sure that you can deliver, um, you know, a product that, uh, that meets the client desires? Great question. So yeah, we've got uh, you know over 700 tenants across our, our 26 commercial office buildings. Most of our portfolio is here in Manhattan, although we, we also have a suburban portfolio out in Long Island. And our tenants are incredibly diverse. So we've got everything from you know, large institutional, you know, financial institutions and, 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 and law firms in our, in our midtown skyscrapers, all the way to more mom and pop, you know, smaller size tenants, um, and really everything in between. And so through various means of, of you know, feedback and research, we're able to engage with those tenants, help to understand what their challenges, their pain points are. And then that, uh, that information, that feedback flows back to the digital lab team, our team, so that we can develop those solutions and, and you know, bring those online to support their needs. And so with COVID, there were the obvious you know, health and safety concerns, right? And so um, through New York State and New York City mandates, we responded and put up thermal temperature screening and various other solutions to ease those concerns and give reassurance. Um, we've seen some of our tenants come back right around you know, the, the average of the city. Now, what we're seeing in terms of hybrid is continuous engagement with those tenants. Some of the more sophisticated tenants already have processes in place. They're already, they've already got tools to manage their hybrid workforce. Um, but what we saw as a common theme across tenants, both medium and small, all the way up to our larger tenants, is that most were making decisions around their hybrid workplace on anecdotal surveys. So asking their employees, would you like to come back? When would you like to come back? How many days of the week would you like to come back? What days of the week? And using that information to set the guidelines and policies moving forward. And so what we realize is that there is a really big opportunity here for us to step in as a landlord, as a partner to our tenants and provide them with data to make a more informed decision process around how to structure their hybrid workplace and frankly, to measure performance over time. And so understanding how often people are coming in, that sits on our systems in terms of access control. So we can provide, you know, on a monthly or a quarterly basis, reports that show when and how often people are coming into the workplace, and that can inform their hybrid work model and, and allow you know, our tenants to adapt and uh, potentially you know, modify their policies uh, to be more productive and more efficient with their, uh, with their workforce. Hey, Peter, you said something to me the other, uh, recently that, um, Frankly, I I had never heard before. Uh, a, you, you you use this phrase data as an amenity. Now I know um, uh, I know swimming pools can be an amenity, um, you know, or a gym uh, can be an amenity. Uh, but but how is data an amenity? I don't I don't understand that that branding. Right. So we've got you know wellness centers and we've got tons of amenities in in, in our building. And there's been frankly an amenities arms race over the, the past decade. Um, what we're finding is that uh, there's an increasing, uh, you know, interest from our tenants to, you know, have, uh, you know, have, have, have data and, and technology embedded into um, their, their tenancies. And so we've taken a number of different efforts. I'll, I'll highlight just one um, is in our pre-built suites. So we have a number of spec suites that we've built out in, uh, in a couple of our, our properties here in Midtown. And those come with, uh, you know, with furniture and furnishings, um, fully fit out spaces. But in addition to what it would be typical in a spec, spec suite, 
we also are providing uh, technology and sensors. Um, so embedded within those suites are air quality sensors, uh, measuring over 10 different air quality parameters in real time. We also have embedded occupancy sensors, measuring, measuring space utilization across um, meeting and conference room spaces, as well as open floor plan spaces. And so um, these have leased up pretty quickly over the pandemic. And uh, the tenants that are moving into these spaces are excited about the ability to move in and have a turnkey you know, technology layer that is already uh, integrated within that, that spec suite. And so they'll know and be able to you know, monitor air quality and spatialization in real time. Uh, the suites themselves are also very uh, built in a way that's very modular and flexible. So based off of space utilization, uh, we can, over the course of a weekend, take down walls and, and you know, transform a private office into a you know, two to three person meeting room um, and, and make those adjustments based off of data um, that's coming in from the occupancy sensors. Last question on this topic, uh, Peter. Uh, um... Have the tenants have been in those new spaces? I mean, you've, you've retrofit or, or added these uh, systems to those new spaces. Have they been there long enough to get the value out of that or, or for you to just kind of see what the benefits have been from having those tools? Not yet. Um, so they've only been in the space for uh, you know, several months. Um, so we still need a little bit more longitudinal timeline to, to you know, be able to realize exactly how they're taking advantage of that data and, and acting upon it. Um, but uh, I'll say anecdotally from our, our leasing team, it was a big draw. Um, it was definitely a, a point of differentiation from other pre-built you know, uh, products in the market. And uh, it's definitely what, what's helped you know, have those lease up quickly. Yeah, I think that Living Lab, uh, you, you guys you published that white paper and I'm sure a lot of people will read it. Um, uh, thank you for your time today, Peter. We'll, we'll see you on the back end when we get the panel up, uh, up and operational. Um, uh, now we got uh, another superstar to, to join us today. We, we've got Kimberly uh, Burtz. Kimberly, uh, you know, where, where I said Peter kind of represented the, the multi-tenant facility, Kimberly represents Wells Fargo. So it's kind of that owner-operator kind of uh, scenario. So um, Kimberly is the Senior Vice President of Workplace uh, Services and Experience at Wells Fargo, uh, which basically, if I was going to interpret that, Kimberly, I'm going to say that it's similar to what, uh, Peter, you get to play with all the cool toys and you get to put the toys in your environment. The difference is in your environment, it's a single tenant environment. So uh, it, you're, you're doing it for your business, uh, your, your organization, as whereas he's doing it for his customers. Um, so we would love to learn or hear uh, how that's working out for you. Awesome. <laughs> and, and indeed, you're correct, Pete. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me, Railcom. It's nice to be here. Um, so, yes, as Pete mentioned, um, I am responsible for workplace services and experience for Wells Fargo. Um, just, I'm sure many of you, most of you know Wells Fargo, but we are a globally significant financial financial institution, a bank. Um, we have, we're highly regulated. We have um, about 250,000 employees uh, globally. A large portion of them are domestic. And so because of that, um, to Pete's point, you know, we really have to think about all of the amazing things that are out there in the market. But how do we take them and tailor them for the Wells Fargo experience, for the environment and for the expectations um, that we have within the workplace and for our employees? Um, so it's a really fun uh time for us because there's just so much change going on. Um, I, you know, I was jotting down notes. I think these conversations are all always so interesting. Um, so many of the things that Peter talked about are the themes that are 
you know, that we're exploring right now that are on our mind. And, and indeed, I also wrote down data as an amenity and the pandemic is an accelerant because those are some of the factors that I'll talk about here um, that are leading us to think about the workplace um, a little bit differently. Um, just to, to provide some background, our portfolio is about 75 million square feet. Um, that's a mix of our administrative office space and we have about 5,000 retail branches. So, um, you know, we're thinking about what do we need from a workplace? Um, what do we need from a smart building perspective? What are the tools and the technologies that we need both on the retail and the administrative side um, to support both? Because of this, because we have multiple channels, um, we support our customers. You know, we want to make sure that we're in the right markets and we support our customers where they want to be. And that is a combination of branches, offices, and then, of course, digital channels. And one thing that I think is really interesting that we found is the more that we do all of them well, it raises the water level for all. So the branch has its absolute place. Digital channels have their place. The, the better we get at both of those, the more our customers are satisfied with the support, with the services that we're able to provide. So that just provides a really unique opportunity for us within the corporate real estate space to make sure that we're bringing the best and the latest to um, to our businesses. Right now, we are seeing a confluence of factors related to the workplace, right? We've got, you know, the pandemic impacts. We still have about 70% of our employees working from home, and we're thinking about what does the return to office at scale mean for them? Um, we've got concerns over employee health, newfound workforce demands and, and workforce um, flexibility, um, pressures to maximize real estate as a corporate asset. We know that there's um, prop tech and other technologies that are out there that are moving things at light speed. Um, we also know that we can do more things from our phone in our personal life, right? I mean, I can order anything from Amazon in a moment's notice. I can do so many things from my phone. And so there's that um, notion, if I, can, if I can run my personal life from my phone, I should be able to do many of my professional tasks, including managing you know, my workplace experience digitally as well. So how do we merge those forces? Um, so with that, that gets us to this evolving definition of the workplace. Um, you know, we're thinking about a lot of different things as we focus on what the new, you know, what the modern vision for a campus needs to be. Um, workplace amenities and employee services are going to absolutely be key, um, but we'll also talk here about um, well-being, sustainability. Those are also at the heart of how we need to be able to design, build, think, and then serve the employees. That's really the way that we're having to think about this is the workplace should serve our employees and the workplace should serve our customers. All of that, of course, is underpinned then by the right platforms, the right um, infrastructure, the right technologies, whether that's running the portfolio, making sure that we have the right data and the insights, um, or whether that's the tools that we're actually putting in our employees' hands so that they can have a seamless and positive experience. Um, with this, one of the one of the areas that we're really focusing on is corporate real estate obviously has a lot to bring to the table, right? We can look at the innovation, we can look at um, real estate trends, we can look at what the workplace is, but we need to do this hand in hand with our other enterprise business partners for a company of our size, right? We have to bring um, the HR team, the well-being and the benefits team to the table, our internal technology team. Um, our agile transformation teams. We need to understand how are people going to be working next year, uh, you know, three years, five years, and then bring all of those teams to the table to have sort of this collective view of the workplace um, 
one of my goals is really that we're putting the employee at the center. And then we think about how we knit all of these different groups together to create this workplace. So it's a pretty exciting time for us. I'm gonna go here to the next slide, all right. Um, let me make sure that we're on the right one. All right. So from a workplace perspective, we wanna make sure that teams have everything they need to succeed. We're moving to um, more unassigned seating, neighborhoods, um, building differently. And also one of the um, big pieces of feedback that we've heard from our employees is, get us outside, don't keep us inside. So where that's possible, where we're able to do that in some campus environments, we're able to um, effectively extend our workplace, extend the office into the outdoors and help make sure that um, it really is um, a more seamless flow between our personal lives, between coming to work, getting into the workplace, and then how we flow people around into the actual spaces within our buildings and outside. So employee services, you know, we've talked about that, whether the, whether we look at that as the traditional amenities, so, um, you know, food, uh, pantry services, meeting and event space, or data as a service. I love that, and I think we're going to start using that. But it's also getting us to really look at what is out there. What are the things that, um, you know, are that we can do in any aspect of our life? How do we make sure that um, we're taking lessons from um, all different industries and bringing those into our workplace. One of the areas that we've actually found has a kind of a wealth of information for us is the university model. So that sort of campus hub, the student union, um, all of the different things that a large university would have, and then bringing those factors you know, into the, the corporate workplace. Um, with that, we have started to centralize some of our um, amenities and some of the employee services. And so we're doing things like Tech Express, that's our branded, think of it as like an Apple store. So if you have a tech need, um, instead of always having to call the help desk for your help, right? In some locations, in some of our major campuses, you can just walk down with your device, with your laptop, with whatever you need and get that on-site help. And so that's an example of where we're trying to strike that balance of the in-person on-site services along with the digital services so that people can opt into the right service, to the right model, to the right location, whether it's you know, on-site uh, or virtual to get the help that they need. Um, this is also a part of, you know, as we think about the amenities, um, this is also a part of making the workplace a desirable place to come. Um, we want we want people to want to come back to the office when we're, you know, in a post-pandemic environment. And we know that one of the things that will get them back in the environment is not just the workplace. Obviously, the workspace that we have um, have to be on point, but it's all of the other things that you can do in the workplace that really make it uh, you know, a high value proposition. As we have looked at the data, as well as polling our employees um, through Pulse surveys and global employee surveys, we know that people are saying, you know, I like working at home generally. Um, you know, I like working at home or I'm productive or, um, you know, I, I enjoy not having a commute. So then the question is, so what are the reasons that people actually want to come back into the workplace? In some cases, it's, you know, the ability to focus and have the right um, tools or workspace at their, um, you know, at their fingertips. But in many, many cases, what we've heard is I miss the collaboration or sometimes I just need to get in a room with someone and whiteboard something out or um, one of the things that we've heard sort of predominantly across most of our businesses and most of our teams is that social connection. Every so often I just need to go in and connect with people, need to catch up with them, want to have a cup of coffee, whether that's in the office or you know going out to the Starbucks. And so the workplace really serves as that sort of hub or starting place to 
to offer those amenities. And so that's really driving our big focus on um, new campuses need to have employee services at the heart of them. So employer well, employee well-being is well-being is something that we're also starting to focus on um, to the point of you know mixing um, you know or making sure that people can take care of their personal lives. We've been um, thinking about the or we've been working about in the well-being um, space for quite a while, but what we're starting to add into this is um, you know medical uh, on-site medical services, uh, making sure that we've got the right. Um, you know, just all of the right uh, amenities and services that people can get what they need. This also helps to make sure that we have a healthier employee population. Um, so if we can get people, uh, you know, a, a quick flu shot, a, a COVID booster shot, if we can get physical therapy on site, it makes for a better work experience and it also keeps our employees healthier. So again, just looking across all of these aspects for, from a value proposition. And then last but certainly not least that I just want to cover is sustainability. This is a core commitment for any modern campus. You can see here a number of the different things that we're doing and thinking about and just embedding into the way that we build. Um, it's important that as we have the campus and we're delivering this high value proposition for what people can do and see that we also are committing to be to being a strong corporate citizen that we're we're embedding in the right technologies that help give us the data to know where we need to, you know, for example, the you know, light sensors. Let's not uh, let's not keep lights on that don't need to be. Um, you know that we have um, all that we're doing things like solar panels and electric vehicle charging um, that make us a good social or corporate citizen, and also are providing additional and enhanced services for our employees. So those are a few of the different forces that we are thinking about. Um, all of that, like I mentioned, is really underpinned by having the right applications to help us manage this hugely complex portfolio that we have. Um, it's exciting to see the innovation that's happening in the market so that we can look at what are the sensors, what are the tools that we need to have, what do we put in the employee's hands. I would say that we're just at the beginning of this journey. Um, as we start to bring people back, I think we're going to see the workforce, uh, you know, is having a louder voice in what their workplace experience is, and we're just going to have to continue to learn from them, adjust, and make sure that the workplace continues to have a really strong value proposition. And so, Pete, with that, I think I'll turn it back over to you and see if, if there's any questions that are coming in for me. Uh, Sarah, or excuse me, um, uh, Kimberly, um, uh, the, the volume of activity is amazing. And along those lines, um, I, I take this quick moment to, to remind everyone in the audience to please use the Q&A section uh, to, to submit questions uh, so that we have a plethora of them at the end of this session for the, for the broader panel. But, but Kimberly, you know, one of the things I, I haven't told you um, um, is that, so I'm going to catch you by a little bit of surprise, but, um, um, you know, many, uh, many years ago, maybe a lifetime ago, I used to work at a large FM company. Um, and when I was doing that, I um, uh, happened to spend a lot of time with various uh, uh, Fortune 5s uh, in, in their smart, smart building journey. And I happened to know that Wells Fargo was one of the very earliest adopters of that sort of solution. Um, so as well as Fargo, you and your colleagues have kind of been going down this path for, I know, for at least 10 years. Um, um, the question I guess I would pose to you, uh, and we are running a little bit long, so I'm going to be, be a little short, but the question I, I'd pose to you is, you know, the pandemic kind of um, uh, gave us an opportunity to decide if these technologies, um, how we're going to use these technologies pre and post, right? There was a different perspective of what you do with the tools, you know, 
two years ago um, uh, to what you might be doing with them today. So how, how, how has this pandemic kind of influenced your thinking uh, of these uh, smart building technologies? Yeah, you know, so so we have been on this journey for a while. I think what the pandemic has taught us, it, it's taught us a lot of lessons. Um, I like the, the way that Peter summed it up as an accelerant. It has taught us that we absolutely have to be flexible in our model and approach. Um, the, you know, what we're looking at today is important, but we're also trying to figure out um, what is the workplace and what are the technologies going to be in five to 10 years? Um, things are happening so quickly. So that accelerant piece is something that we're really keeping an eye on. And then understanding also that employees have, the workforce has a, a louder voice than they ever have. And so everything that we do, whether that's a technology that's behind the scenes and they never see, or something that we're putting in their hands needs to be at the, you know, at the forefront of the way that we're thinking about investment tools, the workplace, um, and the experience that we ultimately deliver to them. Thank you, Kimberly. And I am sure that we will throw more questions at you uh, in about uh, 30 minutes. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, all right. So now I have the great honor uh, of introducing uh, Bob Kermansh Kermanshahi. Oh, I had that nailed and I blew it. Oh, sorry, Bob. Um, uh, but I, I want to introduce Bob. So Bob is the chief commercial officer for Buildings IoT. And anyone that's been in this marketplace uh, uh, knows that Building IoT is one of the uh, leading uh, players in this space in terms of technology tools. Um, and, and Bob, I would love for you to share your knowledge and experience on what you're hearing from the clients or your clients out in the market. Yeah, sure. Thank, thanks for that. So uh, one, yeah, thank you. We are definitely a technology provider of a integrated smart building platform, but we're also an expert in master systems integration and consulting. So when a um, customer or client is interested in understanding like, hey, what technologies are out there? Uh, how can I deliver against some value propositions um, that I want to have in my building, whether it's healthier buildings, more efficient buildings? We bring that domain knowledge and expertise. Um, the company was founded in 1958. Uh, we received a Series A funding this year. So we're a 60-year-old private equity-backed company. Um, so fascinating, deep expertise in buildings that's informed itself into software and technologies, which plays directly into healthy building space. So uh, what I'm showing up here on this page here is a, a study. This is available in nature.com. Um, it's a quick, quick read. And essentially what it points out to, there's a standard in ASHRAE that if you switch the air three times an hour, um, that's the recommended air switching in a uh, education, like a, a school. Um, uh, what's the impact of that? And the study shows that you can actually reduce or mimic as if the students were vaccinated to a 50 or 60% threshold by just changing the air. So it's really clear that air quality has an impact on health. So if you go to the next, oh, that's me actually, I should go to the next page. So um, things such as respiratory illness, allergies, uh, things from cancer, so volatile organic uh, compounds, um, and virus transmission. So having proper ventilation there's a direct correlation. Uh, and, and this is something I think every one of us knows, you know, let's go get a breath of fresh air. Uh, we spend a lot of times in, in uh, buildings. So the study proves that out. And then there was also, I think almost uh, everybody in this space that's looked at healthy buildings knows about the Harvard study around CO2 and cognitive ca capability. So that's a great study to read as well. And so fresher air, lower particulate matter in the space is proxied by CO2 is an indication that 
hey, you can improve cognitive ability. So when you cram a bunch of people in a room together and as the CO2 level rises or the particular amount rises, you're potentially diminishing um, the capability of that, of that team. So how does this play out? And we're seeing that a proliferation of uh, IoT sensors. So actually I, I have one here, like everybody loves a little show and tell. Uh, these are becoming a dime a dozen. And so what I've noticed in the space is the big rush to, oh, we got to go measure it. Let's go get a sensor, put it on the wall um, and figure out what's happening in space. And, and that's great. Uh, the analogy I like to think of is the car. So the cars came out first, then the speedometer came out. So that's kind of right. Funny, like the car didn't come out with a speedometer. So um, and then cruise control came out, which is like, oh, now I can control. Um, now it took about 50 years from the speedometer coming out. And it took about another 60 years for autonomous driving, and we're still not perfect uh, there. So right now we're at the state that, hey, we got a speedometer for the building. Like we can measure uh, something. And there's a, a great knowledge in knowing what's happening in your environment, but there's also a challenge that, is this device accurate? And these things are not always accurate. They tend to drift over time. So you actually need to understand what these measurements mean and how they change over time. But at its core, it can generate some uh, insights. So what the other half of the uh, the solution is being able to, and I'm using ventilation as a proxy because of the uh, it's a clear indicator of how you can improve just um, uh, the, the healthiness of the space, is that when you vent properly ventilate um, a space, you're going to get better air, uh, air quality, a better, healthier space. However, that becomes a challenge. Like, should I run the system all the time? Um, if I do that, I'm you know going to use my filters more. I'm going to consume more energy, um, uh, and that's not optimal from a business perspective. So you know, al alternatively, you could just keep all the windows open and then run the heat, right? So that is not optimal. So how do you solve this problem? And so the way you can do that, oops, going back, there's a couple ways. Sorry, I got the skippiness on my keyboard. One is manual. So that's the whole idea of the, uh, the speedometer without cruise control. Like I look down and I adjust my pedal. So that's the manual um, uh, idea. That is not highly effective and you won't get in an optimal environment in that, in that regard. Two, you can have overrides. So like, hey, for this period of time, I'm gonna force this type of air exchange, um, you know, potential problem areas or crowded areas, uh, the meeting rooms, cafeterias during lunchtime, that kind of thing. So that can uh, improve the quality for sure. But again, that, that's not uh, optimal. You can start getting integrations into the building automation system. So there are, there are companies that have actually started to do that, which is like, hey, you know what, this is a, a hot area. We need to pull in this type of data into our systems and have the building automation system start uh, running and doing uh, certain types of algorithms to help optimize. So that in and of itself is not optimal um, as well. So what really is where I would say the utopia, and yes, this does coincide into what my company offers, but it's not the only thing, you know, like there are other companies that offer this. So I'm not, I'm not pushing it because my company has this offering. I truly believe this. I, I have a controls engineering background. I've been in manufacturing industrial space for over 20 years. Um, and I'm now in the building space. Being able to measure, take action, see the results of that action, and then measure again. And doing that as automated as possible so that you're dialing into whatever is best for your environment, that is the ideal place to be. And that's essentially autonomous driving, right? Like it's measuring what's happening in the environment, where there's traffic, where there's pedestrians, and it's controlling. And that's what we want to have for buildings. So the way to get there 
is to actually have a platform that's connecting these multiple sensors, these multiple inputs. And I think Kimberly mentioned, it's also um, not just data, there's experiential data, there's feedback, there's survey data. Um, there's things uh, that you can collect from uh, different studies by asking your employees. Those types of things translate into data can be then inputted into control systems to change the environment. So, so that's the what I see in the space is that that's where we're migrating towards. So we're, we're putting the speedometers up, we're starting to read, we're starting to do some control. The things that uh, RxR is doing uh, there that P, uh, Peter mentioned, I think those are fantastic. And so we're, we're making our way towards an environment where we're dialing in um, health into the space. And I think uh, you know, if anything that's come out of this pandemic is that we know we need healthier spaces. And back to the subject of this panel is productivity. Healthier people show up to work more often. So, uh, and that is a better uh, proxy for productivity. If people are ill and they're out and you're, you're due to just simple things as poor air quality, you're not gonna have as productive of a, of a work environment. And that's it for my side. Great, you know, um, we are running a little bit long, uh, Bob, so I'm gonna throw one quick thing at you, um, um, mostly because you mentioned the Harvard study and uh, uh, I'm gonna give uh, Joe a full, full shout out. You gave him a partial shout out. You said the Harvard study. I'm gonna say Dr. Joe Allen, uh, because uh, Joe and his team did the work. He, he's a friend of mine and a former colleague. Um, so I want to, uh, you know, I, I remember when he first told me um, that I, you know, I come from the energy efficiency world a long, long time ago. When he first told me I had to run the air conditioning or the ventilation system, you know, 5x um, to get a healthier building relative to reducing it from an energy perspective, it blew my mind. Um, so when you look at that, you, you talked about a holistic strategy. How are you looking at or how are you advising your clients, you know, holistic relative to healthy? How, how do you do that? Yeah, so and you, so you're from the energy space and you would understand that. It's about balance, right? So you can have the, the freshest air quality in the entire building, but the amount of energy that it's going to cost, you're probably not going to attract tenants because you're like, hey, you know, our, our core charges, our, our, our common area charges are through the roof because we're real, we're super, super healthy. So there's a, there's a tipping point, and this varies by every business, by every environment, and it's not one size fits all. So the advice is, you gotta really sit down with experts, understand what is valuable for you, your employee population, your tenant population, and then figuring out how to dial that in from a systems perspective. So getting those systems connected. And so just having them connected doesn't solve that, but actually figuring out how am I gonna deliver against that particular use case for that particular environment so that the tenant experience is fantastic, the employee experience, the occupant experience, uh, for whatever you're setting. So comfort, healthiness, et cetera. So, so that's how we advise them is really, what are you trying to achieve? It's a question back to them is like, where do you want to go with this? And if you want the healthiest space possible at spare no expense, then yeah, there are ways of doing that with fantastic technologies, um, but most companies cannot do it that way. Thank you, Bob. We will have you back in 20 minutes. I appreciate it. Um, um, well, let me remind the audience uh, that we do have a Q&A section. So if you if you have questions, please submit them on the Q&A section, uh, because if you don't, you're going to wind up making me answer or ask all the questions and I'm going to get mine in, not yours. Um, so I look forward to uh, uh, more Q&A. Um, um, uh, Ian, we have a spectacular uh, video, I believe, from our friends from Building Engines.
Hi, I'm David Osborne. I'm the founder, former CEO, and chairman of Building Engines. Back in 2001, we created the first modern operations management platform for real estate owners, managers, tenants, and vendors. But back when I started this company 20 years ago, real estate was a laggard industry, some 20 years behind any other major industrial space. But thankfully, times have changed and Building Engines has led the way. Building Engines has spent the last three years and tens of millions of dollars redeveloping its core application. We call it PRISM. PRISM is without doubt the most effective modern operations platform in the business. If you're not yet a customer, I look forward to having a conversation with you or having our team demonstrate PRISM. And if you are a customer, thank you for your long-term partnership. In the end, we understand that our success only mirrors your success. So far, it's been going pretty well, and I expect that trend to continue. Uh, with that, uh, I love uh, well well made videos. That was great. Um, uh, with that, uh, I am pleased and excited to introduce my new friend Scott Seidman. Um, uh, Scott is the executive vice president of corporate, excuse me, business and corporate development at Building Engines, uh, which similar to Bob, that means he gets the opportunity to speak with lots of different buildings and customers out in the marketplace. So he has a broad perspective of what's going on out in the world. So Bob, we look, excuse me, Scott, we look forward to uh, hearing your perspective. Thanks, Pete. Good to be here. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, also, in, uh, I get to talk with a lot of great technology companies like some of the folks here on the panel, which is, which is a great part of my job. Um, as David said in the video, we have 20 years of experience as uh, the leading SaaS operating platform, helping our customers manage about 3.5 billion square feet and 40,000 buildings spread across the globe. Um, our mission is to deliver a great experience for everyone in every building. Um, and when you look at the people we serve, our users, the end users of our, of our technology, you can see that's, that's very true. Um, for those users, tenants, management teams, engineers, vendors, security teams, um, wellness, health, and safety have always been at the forefront of, of what, they're, what they're interested in and what they think about, but never more so than today, which is, which is pretty clear for all of us. Um, let me see if I can get this. Wrong way. There we go. Okay. Um, as a SaaS operating platform, we've always thought that health and wellness are an outcome and byproduct of well-run buildings. That's been core to what we've done for, for 20 years. Um, and, and it's part of the reactive and scheduled work we help people manage in buildings. What's changed and what's happened, obviously, is that with COVID, tenant expectations for visibility and transparency into new processes. And as Peter said, and I swear we didn't collaborate on this, data um, has changed dramatically, right? They need to understand as a requirement to get them back into the office, what their management teams, what their landlords are doing to make them safe. And that's driven a lot of new processes, protocols, and technology investment um, in a very short, rapid period of time. Um, the response to, to those expectations has been the rush to do things like create touchless entry was sort of the immediate first response. Enhanced uh, cleaning protocols was another one. So when space was being used, making sure that space was cleaned right away and then improved air quality. 
I think air quality quickly rose to the forefront, as Bob talked about, as uh, an increase in importance as evidence became available and data surfaced about the nature of transmission. So that became the most prevalent need we found for most of our customers as they were looking about how to create a healthy environment in their spaces. Um, but all of those changes, all of those expectations, all the things that were being um, implemented required a tremendous amount of both direct and indirect costs um, for our customers, for both landlords and occupants. And that's one of the clear outcomes we've seen as, as our customers have, um, has reacted to, to what's been going on recently. So when we think about healthy buildings and wellness as a priority, um, certainly smart building technology is kind of where, where the most opportunity is to, to deliver the, what occupants and tenants are looking for in terms of that data and transparency. Um, and they're some of the great companies here on this panel, other companies out in the space. Um, we aren't necessarily a smart building or um, IoT company. Um, but we work closely with them and we support those technologies because we're typically the system of record for work that gets done and performed in a building by, by all the people I mentioned earlier, uh, particularly maintenance teams, engineering teams, and vendors and service providers in the space. So we govern the information flow um, and the workloads to make sure that data, the output of the technology that's being implemented gets delivered and prioritized in the right way to the people who are in the building performing those work functions. We're not uh, completely at a state where things are, to, to Bob's vision, the autonomous man out of the loop operating building is. So the output of data and insight is often that something has to be done in reaction to what, what um, systems and technologies and smart building tools are telling, telling the property. Um, air quality, again, a great example of that. Filters can't change themselves, right? If the reaction to a, a reading or a data output is a filter should be changed earlier maybe than is what previously scheduled, that work needs to be, be assigned, it needs to be delivered um, within the context of the work that's already you know, on someone's plate. So that's what we help manage. Um, and, and that goes for, for every kind of reactive uh, result as, as part of a technology that's been implemented. So. Managing the right data is what we do, and we do that through integrations. That's that's a key part of what's what's happening today is the ability for different systems to work together, delivering that information to the right people in the right context at the right time, and then helping manage and measure the outcomes and results so that customers and their our customers and their customers, the occupants in the buildings, um, have have what they're looking for in terms of understanding the results of, of the changes that are being made. So that's critically important. Um, all of this is about, from our perspective, meeting customer tenant expectations. Again, our customer's customer, the occupants of buildings, um, making sure that they're comfortable and secure and are, are willing to come back into the office and, and, and stay in, in whatever form that may take. And we've talked about the hybrid model and flex space, and we understand there's a lot of change going on there, but whatever form that ends up being, people still need to be comfortable that they're safe and they're in a healthy environment. Um, Along with all of this comes cost. And um, we talk to our customers a lot about that. And there's direct cost, the cost of new technologies, of new systems, of sensors, and, and everything that goes into, into doing it as well. And the indirect costs are the workloads, right? How much the changes that are being made impact the people that 
are still responsible for delivering the experience in a property. Um, they're the same group of people. I don't think our customers have been going out and hiring more staff, but there's been a tremendous amount of new work associated with making sure that these that these results are being delivered. So that's that's the indirect cost, and we help manage that. And you do that through the right workflows, the right um, aggregation of information and data and assignments and work and so forth in the building. And we've learned that our role as the platform that our clients use to, to manage that on a daily basis contributes in that way to maintaining a self healthy and safe environment for our customers. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Pete. Hey, thanks, Scott. Um, uh, you know, we are running just a smidgen long, so I have really one kind of critical question, at least in my head anyway, relative to what you just said. Um, you know, all, all, I've been in the smart building thing for 10 or 15 years, right? So I, I'm really familiar with these great tools and that, what they can do. But at the end of the day, you're doing it for, um, for some outcome. And you spend a lot of time in your talk talking about healthy buildings. When, you're, when, you, when you speak with uh, clients um, um, in the field, when they say, give me a healthy building, what do they mean by that? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's really about delivering to their customers confidence that when their employees are in the space, that they're in a, they're in a, a safe, healthy environment. They're, they're at no worse risk of being in the office than they are being at home. So it's really about perception a lot of times, um, but it's that they've done everything within their power to manage the variables that contribute to a safe building. And in most cases, it's the things we've talked about. It's um, clean surfaces, healthy air, um, processes. And I think the one that gets underrated a lot is clean information, is really solid, clear information about what they're doing in the space to make sure that they're comfortable. So I appreciate that, my friend. Um, uh, we will have you back here in 15 minutes. Um, uh, and Ian, I think, well, before Ian, we jump to the video, I want to remind everyone in the audience, again, we still have a Q&A section if you, uh, we're getting close to that uh, part of the day. So if you've got some, shoot them out. Uh, and Ian, we now have a, a video from our friends from Silver, I believe. With that, I think we have a great uh, opportunity to show how well the internet works because Simon is coming with uh, coming to us all the way from Poland, which for me is probably six or seven hours away, uh, time zone wise. Um, uh, so Simon, we appreciate you joining us. You know, I earlier uh, earlier I told the uh, this panel that uh, many years ago I, I co-founded an energy tech company uh, that was an internet-based technology, and I can't turn my computer on. Uh, we've heard a lot from sales and marketing people up till now but we are honored to have a technologist. Simon is the CTO for, uh, for Silver. So when it comes to making things work and, and dreaming new dreams, uh, I am sure Simon's uh, insights will be interesting to all. So Simon, we look forward to hearing you.
And Simon, I think you're on mute. Yes, thank you, Pete. I think uh, exactly I'm, I'm one of those to blame for those technology uh, hurdles. Um, however, uh, at Silver, we are working on a technology that's primary uh, focus is the ease of use. So I hope to at least recover some of those <laughs> uh, issues. So, um, you know, uh, the problem <clears throat> with uh, smart buildings uh, today in general, and smart buildings contribute, of course, to health, wellness, productivity uh, at work. Um, slides are jumping a little bit. Yeah, so uh, here's the promise, and I use this headline um, parallel, but uh, probably you all know this and, and recognize. So whenever uh, travel uh, has been advertised, it's mostly about uh, this picture. So very comfortable, cozy environment, uh, comfort, of course, and uh, and uh, luxury even, and uh, that's the promise. And then problem that for most of us uh, the reality is is, is really different it's, it's like on this picture right so uh, <clears throat> the um, the bottom line uh, is uh, that the challenge uh, is that the wellness at work is only for elites today and that's because 80 percent of the buildings required in 30 years time have already been built and 84% of the existing buildings only have the most basic infrastructure as far as lighting is considered. And of course, lighting contributes a lot to wellness uh, at work, you know, uh, and, and, and very often we feel like crowded uh, uh, in the coach cabin uh, rather than uh, really enjoying the uh, wellness of, of a premium cabin. So the challenge, the, the way I see it uh, for wellness in general is how to, how to make it available for everyone, how to improve the standards uh, of work uh, for, for everyone. And for that, really, we need to think about retrofit. And thinking of, <coughs> of retrofit, uh, there's clearly a need for a better, more accessible technology, uh, technology that is First, simple to implement with minimal training, minimal facility downtime, uh, which is affordable, which requires no major upfront investment and provides good payback. And then it provides benefits to facility managers and owners through mostly reduced energy use and flexibility uh, in reconfiguration. And lastly, it provides benefits to tenants uh, through better light quality, enhanced uh, tunability and uh, touchless <coughs> operation. So we, uh, as I mentioned, we've been working on this technology uh, for quite some time now, and it's been on the market uh, since 2017 when Bluetooth Mesh standard uh, was officially adopted by the uh, Bluetooth Special Interest Group. And this is, it really shines uh, for retrofit projects. Uh, and it does that, of course, because it's, it's wireless, it doesn't require any, uh, any control wires. It doesn't require, uh, on top of that, any control cabinets or uh, any control rooms. And, and this is, 
probably uh, slightly lesser known feature of, of Bluetooth Mesh. So this is a network of smart luminaires. This is a network where uh, luminaires talk to each other and they coordinate with each other. They do not need any central controller. And that brings multiple benefits in terms of, of cost. It brings multiple benefits in terms of uh, reliability of the system. And uh, it's, in the end, entirely easy to uh, install and, and, and commission. So uh, it's, it's <clears throat> I would say, uh, it's the silver bullet in, in retrofit lighting control. And that's why people love it. And, uh, and uh, despite that being a, a quite young technology, it's, it's already uh, uh, adopted by, by many brands and, and many vendors uh, globally. And probably you at least recognize some of these um, lighting companies uh, mentioned here. Uh, currently, there are uh, close to 200 uh, different lighting components available with um, Bluetooth Mesh on board. And the, the, the great news through Bluetooth interoperability is that uh, they all work uh, are, are capable of working uh, with, with each other. So that's uh, why we believe this is the technology that will bring uh, this elite experience uh, to most of us uh, uh, returning to offices uh, around the world. Thank you. Simon, thank you very much. And we appreciate you first and foremost for staying with us through the end of your day. Um, I, I realize it's late over there in Poland. Um, uh, you know, Simon, I, I've been, like I said, in the smart building space for a long time. I'm a true believer of their benefits, uh, but I've also lived through the trials and tribulations. Uh, you know, someone uh, uh, mentioned the phrase uh, systems integrator earlier today, and whenever I hear that, I hear, oh my God, it's going to take two years to get this thing operational. Uh, Simon, you know, in your experience, are there, are there tools and technologies out there today that um, uh, can help smart buildings um, uh, yeah, initiate, uh, get started faster, easier, cheaper. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, all sorts of wireless technologies, uh, you know, uh, are the way forward, and and they are great starting point. But among them, of course, there are many choices, and and for the reason I the reasons I stated uh, in my presentation, I, I I very much believe uh, that Bluetooth mesh. On top of being wireless, it also provides uh, a couple of other breakthrough approaches that really, you know, make it affordable and make it affordable uh, through, for example, minimizing um, facility downtime during the retrofit. So retrofits are lighting fast, uh, pun intended, and uh, you, you you can retrofit a significant portion of a building. Uh, a weekend so you don't need to you know expel people shut the facility down and then you know it's not a heavy project and you can do it uh, step by step as well so that's what uh, our um, uh, partners have been doing for quite some time i look forward to learning more about that because any you know th that that challenge of 
of selling the dream to the customer and then letting them live with the dream, that, that time of implementation has sometimes been brutal. Um, uh, welcome, Simon. Thank you very much, and we'll bring you back here shortly. Um, we have our last good friend here today uh, for this uh, set panel session uh, is Gary Chance. Gary is the uh, Vice President of Marketing at Prescriptive Data, um, and he is going to share his experience as well. But there is one great thing about Gary, and we all know about supply chain challenges nowadays. Uh, I am pleased to say that Gary was able to secure one of the final turkeys um, uh, for this holiday season uh, earlier this morning. So his, he and his family are now set for the season. Congratulations to you, Gary. Steve, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me, of course, Realcom. So today I'm gonna to be talking about data-driven health and retention, specifically through the lens of building automation. Um, as head of marketing at Prescriptive Data, one of my jobs is to try to understand customers and customer needs as best as I possibly can and sort of represent those challenges um, through case studies, um, as well as as head of partnerships, um, talking about sort of the challenges within putting together a data-driven health and retention approach. So in terms of the, the drivers we've seen, um, I would say up until Q1 of 2020, we were very much focused on the sustainability side of things. And then obviously things changed where at, at Prescriptive Data, our core product, Nantum OS, is very much focused on connecting to all building systems for the use of AI and automation, usually to serve one of three goals, cost reduction, uh, carbon emission reduction and carbon emission tracking, and then through the pandemic, more and more healthy buildings. So this is sort of a quick look at sort of what the biggest drivers are, but in the bottom, you'll see that sort of list of logos from associations to different certifications. They put out a lot of research during COVID-19. And a lot of this research sort of pushed this new rise of everyone piloting and testing new IAQ sensors and putting together healthy building programs. Um, but as we look at sort of the main drivers for our customers, it's return to work, right? A mixture of space utilization, IAQ data. It's the getting the certifications for use of leasing and retention and understanding what a healthy workplace looks like. And I would say the, the latest is, is productivity. And what does that look like? So in terms of the biggest challenges and, and the way we see them, first, in terms of this process of how do you get started, right, is building that internal business case. Why are we doing this in terms of approaching healthy buildings? Who owns this project internally? Who's going to manage it? Who's going to see it through? And then finally, how are we calculating, tracking ROI? How are we defining ROI for our business in terms of this program? Um, second, it's the, the sensor selection. I know Bob mentioned it earlier as calibration is one of the probably one of 50 to 60 questions to probably ask each of your IoT vendors. Um, and next is the, the hardware costs, right? There are real-time costs versus the ROI. And we've seen a ton of different pilot programs, and this seems to be the main way um, many owners, as well as enterprise tenants, are, are testing out the latest and greatest in IAQ sensors. And then and the next is the final integration, right? The cost of integration, the cost of installation, the cost of upkeep. And then once everything's installed, the operations team, who manages this? Um, how many alerts are they going to get within spaces? Um, who's responsible for calibrating the sensors and recalibrating them over time? And then finally, as a lot of the other panelists have mentioned, utility costs. So our business is, is mostly focused on the sustainability and cost saving side. So automating a healthy building um, can be very costly, as many other panelists have sort of mentioned. But beyond that, it produces a lot of carbon emissions, and specifically in more and more cities, as laws get passed around fines for carbon emissions and setting your own carbon emission threshold, um, how do you how do you evaluate this? How do you make those choices? And, and last but not least, the, the popular certifications that are out there. 
It takes a lot of time to commit to those, um, to report every year, depending on what certification you're looking for. So in terms of automating, what we've discovered, what we've based our business in is the idea of automating all of your building systems. So specifically talking about your BMS, your BAS, your HVAC systems for command and control and fault detection, your metering and submetering to understand not only energy use and water use, but also being able to calculate your carbon emissions in real time, your real-time occupancy, whether it be whole building, floor by floor, zone by zone, portfolio wide, and then the integration of in, uh, IAQ sensors as well as interior temperature sensors, um, combined with third-party data such as localized weather. And what we're able to do is sort of take that data and use the least amount of energy possible to make sure that the right floors or spaces are meeting your healthy building criteria while saving money on the unoccupied spaces through energy savings. Um, so this is a kind of quick encapsulation of that, um, driven by a floor-by-floor floor visualization. But at the end of the day, our, our goal is to reduce carbon emissions and make sure that spaces are healthy specifically for return to work, but make sure you're providing that healthy space to an actual zone within a building where people are actually located. This cuts down on operator alerts in real time. Um, it cuts down on your cost savings. Um, so this is sort of our, our goal and what our company is focused on um, for the past few years. And then we call these 10 second case studies and it's something we like to do with a mixture of our customer success team as, as well as other teams. Um, but the first case study you'll see there, um, this is from a, a customer who wanted to understand and wanted a healthy building, but didn't know what that meant, right? So what are the different standards? What are the different zones that are actually defined as a healthy building? And then using your BMS, BAS system to automate this for occupied zones. Um, the second case study is around productivity. So light levels or, or, or sound. Um, for example, a trading floor or a call center, when we talk about productivity, being able to say this is a louder call center leads to more revenue and sales and bridging the gap between building and operational data into actual workplace and financial data. Um, case study three was mostly focused on bringing in more outside air and automating that. Um, but again, that's mostly around COVID-19. Um, and then case study four here is about a specific example of using IoT sensors within uh, cooling towers um, in order to track the pH levels in terms of New York City's laws around Legionnaire's disease. And, and the next case study, case study five, is something that I think is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, the idea of working owners working with tenants to solve problems. Um, and I think Peter talked a lot about this in terms of uh, data as an amenity, uh, right? But as an example, we had a customer um, who one of their tenants was requesting about 16 or so hours of conditioned air over the weekend, but using occupancy data as well as energy data from meters and submeter data, we were, that owner was able to have a conversation with that tenant to say, hey, you're only coming, your, your employees are only coming in about, let's say six to eight hours each weekend. Let's let's take a look at your SLA. Let's, let's make some changes to it, save you um, on your energy costs, as well as your carbon emissions, as you've made a carbon commitment goal, um, as well as save us as an owner and sort of protect us a little bit more from local law um, 97. Um, so, and then this sort of sixth case study we have right here is about occupancy-based cleaning. Again, relative to COVID-19, the ability to use simple Wi-Fi door centers, wireless door centers to understand, hey, a bathroom door has been open X amount of times. Once it hits that threshold, say 30 open, send an alert to the sort of cleaning staff CMMS or work order system to clean that space, right? Again, using data. So our whole approach um, is to understand what the challenges are, what an owner's trying to do, and specifically around healthy buildings. When, when someone says, I, I want a healthy building, it's how do we use the 
the latest and greatest in terms of occupancy detection and, and other systems that you have within that building to minimize the cost of providing healthy spaces to uh, employees as they return to work. So that's my quick five minute presentation. I think I was just about on time, um, but. Genius. You know, Gary, um, uh, you are um, uh, addressing what I call is the holy grail of this marketplace. Um, uh, you know, the, the productivity and, and healthy um, are, are kind of um, two places that everyone wants to, to measure and, and have a metric. I, I'm old enough to know or I've been involved in many smart building pitches, designs, strategies. You know, in the business case, always says we're going to do all this great energy savings and then there might be some productivity. Right. And then trying to prove that productivity, the CFO of Wells Fargo, for example, um, was always a challenge uh, because there was no hard data. You know, what what, how, what are you guys doing to kind of track and measure real time productivity today? How, how is that a possibility? Sure. So it came directly from a request of, of one of our customers who specifically around their trading floors and their call centers. Um, but the general idea was, and this was sort of pre-COVID, I would say, and then sort of continued as people have returned to work, but how do you use light levels, um, for example, sunlight within a space um, to understand whether or not people are more effective at their job? And then in terms of the call centers, is a louder call center or a louder trading floor a more uh, successful trading floor. And this was using data from our platform, Nantum, in terms of the, the sound levels through IAQ sensors, um, plus their financial data, and sort of working with their finance team to better understand, is there a correlation between sound levels um, as well as um, success with them in terms of their actual traders there? Um, so I think there's a lot of different things that are, are sort of going on within this space. And I know you mentioned sort of holy grail. I think there are two holy grails. I think on the workplace side, it's definitely productivity tracking. I think on the owner side, it's most likely tenant retention tracking. If we have all this data, we know exactly how many people are in a space. Do they like their space enough to go there? Um, visitor data, do we do they like their space enough to invite guests there to work order data, right? How often they're requesting work orders? Um, how quickly are they being solved to a mixture of tenant surveys and then comfort data, all of a sudden for an owner, you have a data set that's very valuable to you for predicting whether or not a tenant is happy within their space, activating your leasing team to have conversations more quickly. So I think those are the two biggest holy grails I think out there, which is productivity tracking and then tenant retention tracking. Man, I love it. Um, and we'll take this chance to, to welcome everyone or the rest of our colleagues back to the uh, to, to the session um, so we can have a panel chat now. But um, I, you know, I congratulate you, Gary. This is the uh, this is the place that makes the business case, man. If if, if we can all get uh, agreement to that underlying denominator, this stuff's a rocket ship takeoff. Um, um, but. Uh, so, so we did get some questions in from the audience, and there still is time for people to uh, submit on your on your Q and A section if you would like. Uh, but the, the my favorite one that I've seen so far, and I just ironically happens to be the first one. Uh, but but Peter, it's thrown it to you. You know, you uh, earlier we talked about your phrase of uh, data as an amenity, and the question came in from the audience, and I'll paraphrase uh, slightly: is uh, who pays for it? I, I, you know, I, I, I love that question. You know, in, in your multi-tenant world, um, when you put in these new technologies, uh, you know, what, how's that capex being absorbed? Yeah, great. And I, I answered this in the chat, but I'll, I'll just reiterate. So, um, you know, we're we're activating data sources that fall into our scope as uh, you know base building systems. 
and sharing that uh, as transparency and insights to our tenants. And so that's something that we take on in terms of our capital planning efforts and understanding what we need to do to, you know, to deliver a, a class A experience. Um, for, for data domains that reside within the tenant space, that's obviously outside of our, our purview. So it takes a collaborative effort and an engagement with that tenant to understand how we can uh, you know, tie that back into our, uh, you know, our base building systems to provide them with a, an aggregate and, and comprehensive view across uh, both common area base building elements as well as uh, interior spaces. Um, and so in that respect, the, the capital and funding you know, comes from the tenant. Um, however, you know, there's a, that, that software layer that bridges the divide. And, uh, and so we're able to, you know, to work with them to customize exactly what that, um, you know, what that dashboard looks like to be able to pull data from both sides of the, of the table. Thank you, my friend. I don't mean to make this session kind of a linear uh, coming back around Robin, but it's kind of looking, going to look that way in a moment because I'm going to go to Kimberly next. You know, uh, Gary, um, and these are kind of random questions you guys weren't prepped for, but Gary, Gary was talking about productivity, uh, Kimberly, and in, in, in that I kind of referenced, uh, you know, pitching the CFO to get that capital budget. You know, you you and Peter both have, you know, the the toys, right? As I call them, uh, you know, you get the, the that that great room with all the cool stuff to play with. But at the end of the day, there needs to be budget and funding to kind of go put them out in the field. Um, uh, when you're working through that through a business case, how are you convincing your CFO that these these toys are useful? Um, you know, that's a really good question, and I don't think there's one quantitative answer. Um, when we look at the book of work that we have from a, an investment perspective in the real estate portfolio, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, quantitatively and qualitatively. Um, obviously, we need to make sure that corporate real estate as a, as a corporate asset, that we can show the ROI there, right? Our, is our utilization what we expect it to be? Are we in the right strategic markets, and are we able to house the employees that need to be there or meet the customer demand. Um, we look at things like, you know, the occupancy cost per employee and factor all of the investment into that. But then there's also sort of that softer side of, you know, what do we need to do to be compelling? What do we need to do to focus on that employee experience that I talked about? And that's been a real um, shift for us to, you know, it's not just the numbers, the numbers are important, but it's really sort of that total value proposition. And um, the other thing I'll mention is that there's a lot of investment that we do that supports the entire portfolio, but then, of course, there are certain things that we need to do in high-rise buildings in, you know, dense urban centers that maybe are different investments than we would make in our suburban campuses. Um, so it, there's a little bit of art, there's a little bit of science, and then hopefully we put it together and it's, it's sort of a, a thoughtful book of work. Yeah, thanks, Kimberly. I, you know, at the end of the day, that's the challenge that we all face, right? We, you know, we, we create cool new stuff, but at the end of the day, we got to figure out someone to, to pay for it. Um, um, uh, you know, I'm going to open this up to everyone, but before before I do, there was uh, kind of a real-time point that just came in. Um, someone uh, in the audience just said that they love data as an amenity. Um, and, and Peter, you and I, when we get off this, are going to race to see who trademarks that first. Uh, I, am, I am sure I'm going to win. Um, uh, I, I love that phrase. That's, that's genius. Um, um, uh, but I'll open this up to anyone that wants to kind of jump in, because I think this is a very educational question or kind of a helping the audience question. If someone asks, okay, we've been talking about all this business case stuff, right? And, um, um, and, and if you're a novice in this marketplace, right, you know, you, you, you own a building and you've got um, things that you need to do. 
are there good tools out there, you know, whether they're Excel sheets or websites or where, where can where can someone go that can kind of give them a back of the napkin perspective of what's it going to take to take their building from A to B, you know, from from dumb to smart, from 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 current to healthy, if you will. Are there any um, uh, guidance you guys might offer as to where someone could go to to, to kind of make that assessment for themselves? I'll I'll, uh, I'll jump in. So I mean I think uh, you know uh, a hat tip to Realcom. I think Realcom's got a lot of great content and, and resources and materials. Um, you know in, in the smart building, connected buildings world. Uh, in terms of healthy buildings, uh, and this is uh, you know a plug for uh, you know the, the organization that I I was a part of before joining RxR. But um, there's a number of organizations that are are pushing you know this healthy building movement forward. Uh, Gary had mentioned it in, in his uh, in his presentation, but the Well Building Standard and, and, and the International Well Building Institute has become uh, pretty internationally recognized as, as the the standard and benchmark for healthy buildings. And there's a ton of you know, free materials and resources to understand what it means to be a healthy building. How's that defined? And what are the different categories and criteria that need to be pursued? Um, all the way from air quality to lighting to material health. Um, and looking at operations and, and other protocols as well. So uh, encourage folks to, to look at uh, that. Wellcertified.com is, is their website. And there's just a, you know, a plethora of materials there to just begin to explore what it means to have a healthy building. And then for those that are, are inclined, um, they've got certifications and programs that you can formally pursue. Uh, we, as, a, you know, as an owner of a, a large portfolio of commercial buildings, um, we are pursuing a variety of different certifications across our portfolio, including well, including lead certification, um, and doing what we need to do to, you know, position our buildings to not only meet customer demand and, and what it means to attract and retain the best tenants, but then also knowing that uh, a lot's coming from the regulation space. So with Local Law 97 here in New York, um, we need to be able to uh, be ahead of the curve uh, with respect to uh, positioning our buildings as, as healthy and, and smart buildings. I'll throw another one out there, Pete, because there's a. Uh, I, I wasn't familiar with that. I think Well's fantastic, by the way, and version two just got came out. It's it's really comprehensive. But UL, uh, which you wouldn't really think of, but Underwriter Lab Underwriters Laboratories has Spire, S P I R E, and that's available online and as a tool to take a look at. So. You, you, you know what, I, I asked a question, I, I, just looking back at the audience questions, you know, I asked the question maybe that would be maybe out of order slightly, because there was a question also posed from the audience um, as, you know, and this is kind of the absolute genesis question, is that, you know, if I'm sitting here in my office today, you know, what questions should I even be thinking about um, uh, when I want to go to smart building? What are the kind of the key, you know, first five things I should be trying to figure out when I say I want to go to a healthy building? And, and Bob, you gave a nice answer to that on your on this little chat thing. But uh, uh, so I mean, I'll give you the the, the first shot. But uh, I, I'd welcome uh, you know Scott or or uh, well anyone, frankly. Yeah, I won't take too much of your time. Uh, essentially, you have to know where you are and as far as you're building your portfolio and where you want to be for what reason, and then closing those gaps and creating those cases is how you're going to get there. And uh, you know, working with uh, like companies like with Scott or Gary's. To, to figure that out or technologies like from Peter um, that's and Simon that's how you, that's how you make it happen yep I, I echo that Bob I'd say um, the other thing is just to map out 
your desired outcomes, look at your tech stack. You really have to do the work. Not everybody's RXR has the, the resources available that some of the top landlords have. So if you if you, you go to some of the resources that were mentioned, talk to your, your colleagues, go to the industry associations, but you have to do the internal work and map out things like workflows, right? Understanding what systems you have in place, what technologies, what's the system of record, where data resides, you know, where information needs to be shared. Um, before you jump in and, and find a solution, start there and, and that'll let, help you end up in the right place. Yeah, it's always that North Star, right? You know, it's where am I trying to get to? And then you try to figure out how you're going to get there. Um, um, uh, and that's why I like, Peter, your your description of, uh, you know, going to the well standard it, just as a as a place to start, right? And once upon a time that was lead. Now we've got a bunch of different um, kind of guidelines. Um, uh, but I think that's a great, you know, and again, I've known Dr. Joe Allen for several years. Um, uh, you know, his, his, his Healthy Buildings book is a... Uh, is a North Star. Um, you know, Simon, earlier I mentioned to you uh, my greatest pain and fear in this whole smart building world was the uh, the, the the getting it operational part. Um, um, you know, you, you were kind enough to share that uh, Bluetooth mesh is a, a, a key technology that kind of makes things easier. I can say that's true even in my own house. I realize my house is using Wi-Fi, but I think my washer and dryer as of right now is connected to my network. Um, I don't even know why, but it does. Um, um, so, you know, that's cool. Um, but as we, since you're the technologist of this group, uh, um, Simon, I'm going to maybe ask past your, your, um, your, your product line, but, but what things should we be looking for going into the future? What things should we be hoping that the smart building world can, can produce that helps make this plug and play thesis um, even better, faster, cheaper? <clears throat> Yeah, and uh, that question kind of uh, segues uh, somehow to the comment I wanted to make uh, to what Scott was saying that uh, I disagree. Healthy building is a North Star. It's it's a mindset and it's a journey. I mean, it's an everyday improvement, and uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of incremental steps, little steps continuous improvement that's uh, that that should be the, the how we approach this thing and because you know we don't know even today what potential uh, possibilities we will have tomorrow to improve even, even better so taking this step by step approach and selecting technologies that that that, that help you with this step by step approach so you don't want to overhaul everything you don't want to you know uh, uh, replace the whole building because that's that's impossible, and and nobody would do that. And but but um, yeah, wireless in general. I mentioned that many times already. But but I'm I'm really great fan of of, of wireless, and um, <clears throat> you know software in general as well. Um, if you look from the broader perspective, like even uh, thinking about green planet and waste and and energy and everything. So. So uh, I'm very much against uh, overproduction and overconsumption and this vicious cycle of, of material goods that we buy, transport, and then throw away and replace with new set of goods. Um, this is the, the issue with, with um, what generally we could call atoms, but bits, on the other hand, which 
are the building blocks for software, then they do not produce waste. So, so every investment is in software is a green investment and software can improve on so many things. Once things are connected and they are getting connected and you, you have sensors in, in many places and, uh, and you have ways of controlling things, but still the level of how this controlled infrastructure works can keep improving and improving and improving if you improve on the software side of, of, of things. That's, that's a, I think a great opportunity for, for all of us. And the other thing that uh, software can enable are those easy to perform projects and retrofits because, because with software you can make things so much easier. I mean, it, it, in our case, the key piece of software is is a mobile app because it runs the whole it it, it guides the installers through whole the, the entire process and it executes and because phone over bluetooth can connect to all those lights and sensors then the app can do the job and, and you know you can simplify like people used to say there's an app for that so yeah there's now an app for for a smart building and there's now an app for smart lighting and those apps are getting better and better. So I, I think that's, you know, in, in general, how the trend looks like. You, you are now officially my outsourced CTO, uh, Simon. Thank you for that. Um, uh, uh, it, I, I truly did not mean to make this go in order. Uh, it just kind of happened that way. But uh, we have one last question before the uh, session ends. And, so, and Gary, it goes to you. You know, we are here at the end of 2021. What is 2022 going to bring to us in this healthy and productivity building journey? I think first and foremost, a lot more IAQ and sensors across buildings of all shapes and all sizes. And we're already starting to see that. We've been seeing that, I'd say, at least for the last year. And I think the second big thing is taking multiple data sets, combining them to create new levels of useful information combining space utilization information with IAQ data to have a better understanding of how healthy the average person is within space, or combining your, again, your occupancy data with your ESG data, understanding the carbon emissions per person as they walk into your space. What does that mean for space density? What does that mean for your ESG and sustainability program? So our outlook is very much on, there are gonna be more sensors. That means teams are gonna to have to manage more sensors and have that down packed. At the same time, how do we leverage all the different data sets across a building and combine those into new business challenges and new business outcomes for our customers? You just declared job security for CTOs like Simon forever. Thank you very much. Um, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate your time today. You guys were awesome. and I, I, I'm honored to have spent this moment with you. Um, uh, Sarah and Ian, thanks again. And to the sponsors for the event, I also thank you because otherwise this wouldn't happen. Uh, Sarah, now the microphone is yours, and I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Pete. Uh, great job facilitating the conversation, and thanks to all the panelists for your time and efforts and preparing their presentations and sharing your insights with the community. Really appreciate it. I also want to thank the audience for joining us today, and I hope you'll join us for our next webinar, which is coming up in two weeks. Uh, we'll take a quick Thanksgiving break next week, I'll be, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And with that, I want to wish everyone a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks all. Thank you. Thank you.